0: co-founder and co-editor, and your host for today's episode. Our focus for today will be on the state of the parallel programming standard OpenACC. Here to talk about this today is Doug Miles. He runs the PGI Compilers and Tools team at NVIDIA. Doug's worked in HPC for over 30 years in math library development, benchmarking, programming model development, and software engineering management. He's done this in a number of companies you're probably familiar with, uh, Floating Point Systems, uh, way back, Cray, Cray Research super servers, the Portland group, NVIDIA, and and others. So hi Doug, thanks for joining today.
1: Hi Nicole, it's great to be here.
0: Sure. Well, let's let's just start with a high level overview. Um, you know, people are either familiar in depth with OpenACC or they aren't, right? But um, you know, what was the impetus to develop OpenACC, and what's the progress been? Just in in, in a short summary here. Sure.
1: Uh, the the impetus to to developing OpenACC uh, goes back uh, many years to 2008, 9, 10, when CUDA was starting to become uh, very popular and successful as a way to program GPUs. Uh, several organizations looked at uh, ways to use directives as a higher level approach, more portable approach to programming accelerators. and Uh, OpenACC is a set of directives that came out of uh, that uh, set of efforts and eventually was standardized uh, across uh, several vendors as a way to develop um, GPU accelerated programs that uh, are readily portable and performance portable across different types of systems.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, There's even greater need than ever with, with the rising number of GPU accelerated supercomputers out there, right?
1: Uh, that's absolutely true. There there are uh, more and more GPU-accelerated supercomputers uh, every year. Uh, they're attached to a large percentage of supercomputers at this point and and becoming more and more important, and there are uh, very large systems like the the systems going in at uh, Oak Ridge National Lab, the Ornall Summit supercomputer, which is based on uh, power processors and NVIDIA voltage V100 processors, and a similar system going into uh, Lawrence Livermore. So uh, it's just a really important um, platform, and and people need a way to write programs that is readily uh, approachable, uh, is incremental, allows them to port programs that have been around for many years on on existing HPC platforms, and which allows them, as I said earlier, to, to readily port those codes between uh, different types of high-performance computing systems.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I think we'll probably get to Summit as a machine, just as an example of the types of machines that are coming up that have uh, a lot of capabilities in terms of both compute and, of course, memory. And that's going to involve, uh, I'm sure, a lot of work for you and the OpenACC, t- uh, OpenACC team, but we'll get to that. Sure. Um, what, what is the current stable release? And let's talk about some of the things that are coming up in your next one. You have to remind us again when that comes out.
1: Sure. The um, so it's important to separate the uh, the OpenACC specification, which uh, has gone through several revisions uh, since two thousand and eleven when it first came out, and the latest revision of that specification is OpenACC uh, two point six, uh, which uh, added uh, several minor features and also added uh, support for something called deep copy, which is uh, important to a number of uh, applications that work on aggregate data structures and and so there are these successive revisions of the specification uh, and then there are the implementations and PGI in particular uh, has an implementation that tracks very closely uh, to that specification and uh, one of the, the features that I mentioned uh, this deep copy has enabled um, several applications to to be ported effectively to OpenACC, whereas that that was not practical uh, with previous mm-hmm. versions of the specification.
0: Let's let's take a short deep dive into deep copy. Uh, let's talk about why it's important functionally. Uh, what does it mean for HPC developers? Give us gives us an overview on on why people should be really paying attention to this new feature.
1: Oh sure. Um, well, I, it, it helps to back up a little bit. For, for people who have never written a program for an accelerator, one of the basics that you need to understand is that a GPU has its own memory with uh, much higher bandwidth than the CPU system memory, typically five to ten times higher. So when executing accelerator compute regions, uh, data objects and variables have to be moved as needed between the, the system memory and the GPU memory by the programmer. So if you imagine you have an aggregate data structure, which contains a lot of distinct components or members, uh, that aggregate may not be one contiguous data object. Some of the members might be pointers to components and other parts of system memory. And if you just blindly copy all of that aggregate data object to the GPU memory, then those pointers are pointing to host memory addresses, which uh, obviously doesn't work. And what you really want is to modify them during the copy so that they point to the corresponding addresses in in device memory and a deep copy implementation is what manages and fixes up uh, those pointers in aggregate data structures during this data movement between the memories and uh, the way that a lot of modern uh, applications are coded they use derived types in fortran or classes in c uh, to sort of raise the the level of abstraction and And so they run right into this problem of, of managing uh, these aggregate data structures uh, between the two two memories. so um, so why is it important? Well, uh, certainly, uh, in the last few years, uh, OpenACC has had a lot of success with respect to uh, application adoption. There is now a a GPU-accelerated version of Gaussian uh, with most of the use cases um, GPU-accelerated using OpenACC. There is a GPU-accelerated version of ANSYS Fluent in production uh, with a radiation transport solver that is GPU-accelerated with uh, OpenACC. NCAR's next-generation weather model, MPASS Atmosphere, is being developed for GPU acceleration using OpenACC. So there's a lot of success there, but deep copy is one of these features that um, developers have needed to enable a next wave of applications. And uh, one example of that is uh, when we implemented this in the PGI OpenACC compiler in early 2017, it enabled porting of VASP to OpenACC. And that port really wouldn't have been practical without that feature and with it the results have been really impressive and as a lot of your listeners will know VASP um, is a material science application It consumes double digit percentages of uh, mm-hmm. the available cycles at a lot of major supercomputing centers and uh, and it's not in production yet uh, but it looks very likely that that will occur sometime in the future and it's just one example of uh, science and engineering applications that, that use these Types of aggregates that need a deep copy solution, and so that's that's why you hear about it frequently.
0: Uh, that makes better sense now. We we see why that's that's important to uh, to developers in HPC. Uh, another thing too, I've heard quite a bit about, especially as we talk about systems like Summit with you know obviously the Volta GPUs. Um, and we'll see several more systems based on that open power, um, that open power framework there within V-Link and, and Volta. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to me about support for unified memory. That's something that's absolutely critical uh, now more than ever. So, so describe to us where you are with that.
1: It is. And, and unified memory is um, is all about uh, ease of use and ease of programming. Uh, so. So OpenACC is defined in a way that allows the compiler to ignore any of those data movement directives if you're targeting a shared memory system, uh, or any system where the the accelerator shares memory with the host. And just as an example, uh, you can compile an OpenACC program to target a multi-core Skylake server. And when you do that, the OpenACC compiler interprets the parallelization directives uh, and spreads the work out across all of the cores in the system, but it just ignores the data directives because there is no need to move data. And, and the model is designed uh, to enable that. And when that same program is compiled to target a GPU, the data directives are interpreted and used to affect that data movement that we, we talked about a few minutes ago. So the program doesn't change, but the behavior of the program changes based on Uh, the capability of the target and in recent years NVIDIA has introduced this concept of CUDA unified memory which essentially allows the CPU and the GPU to share memory by accessing data through the same pointer so the the memories are still physically separate but they're logically uh, unified at this point for allocatable data and this relies on capability in the CUDA driver uh, so it's software implemented and hardware supported, and it, it gets better and better with uh, each release. And, and on these recent um, GPUs, as you said, the, the Pascal and Volta have uh, this capability um, to access uh, host memory, and with NVLink and on the Power9 systems, uh, the, it's lower latency, it's higher bandwidth. Um, and, and when it comes to targeting these systems, the PGI OpenACC compiler uh, in the current implementation will place all allocatable data in CUDA unified memory. And that means that the programmer doesn't need to insert data directives for those data objects. Uh, So, and that includes any allocatable data that might be in uh, aggregate data structures. Uh, So in essence, in those cases, OpenACC programmer-directed data movement becomes Uh, optional or an optimization uh, on those types of systems and so it's a a sort of quantum leap forward in uh, ease of programming and we're pushing forward both on deep copy solutions and on this unified memory solution uh, with uh, this really is the philosophy of of OpenACC is to uh, to make things as easy as possible but to uh to allow the programmer to step in and take control when it's uh necessary for performance reasons mm-hmm. uh,
0: that that is also a big deal i, I see that being able to write open acc without directives uh big deal <laughs> big uh, big life changer right that is a
1: big life changer and um it's you, you know and it doesn't you know you you ask well Does this mean that OpenACC programmers will use fewer and fewer directives over time and not more? Um, Is that really true? And that that really is true. There's a lot of important programs today that use allocatable data almost exclusively, and they can be ported to the um, latest NVIDIA GPUs using OpenACC with few or no data directives. And that allows the programmer to focus on parallelization, exposing parallelism in algorithms expressing it in the program in the form of uh, OpenACC parallelization directives. And then CUDA Unified Memory can manage most of that data movement between uh, the memories. It works really well today um, and and is getting better and better in each release. And ultimately, we expect that OpenACC programmers will focus mostly on parallelization and use those directives only as hints where they're uh, needed. mm mm-hmm. So what's that's really what's the direction maybe we're heading.
0: sure uh, what's maybe one of the next generation challenges you're already planning on as as you look to whatever this next exascale <laughs> architecture is going to be I don't I don't think there's any agreement on on what that will be yet right
1: No I don't think there is an agreement uh that's I mean that's a really good point uh and and the the design of OpenACC is intended to allow people to express uh, massive, massive parallelism at the node level, and if there's anything that that people agree on, it's that uh, parallelism at the node level is is increasing and is is likely to continue to increase. And so, um, you know, we think what people need in order to to um, migrate to those systems um, is is a model that allows you to express that parallelism uh, to limit any sort of synchronization at the node level, and and then it just becomes a mapping problem. And exactly what those nodes will look like, nobody knows, but if there is enough um, parallelism exposed in the program uh, at the node level, then uh, that mapping problem, uh, w- whether the target is a many core system or a GPU-accelerated system, uh, falls right into the wheelhouse of compilers, which are really good at uh, bookkeeping and uh, managing those types of, of mapping processes. That's what compilers have, have always been good for. So there is no you know, magic bullet of taking old dusty deck code and, and automatically um, moving it to those systems. But if the code is structured in a way where the parallelism is exposed... Uh, that's where optimizing compilers come in, and and programming models like OpenACC can can make that transition a lot easier.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying this to make you feel old either, Doug. But you've you've seen a lot come and go in your career. I was looking through your bio, and I thought, wow, you know, starting at the very beginning of just single core Fortran based applications up until now, that's that's quite an evolution to watch over the course of your career. I mean, I don't mean to get you off topic of OpenACC, but You know, what kinds of generalizations can you make about what you've seen and where things are going? I think you just hinted on some of that, uh, talking about the future architectures. But what do you really see as being next?
1: Well, um, as I said, I think that, um, you know, you point out that um, when I started writing programs, it was for uh, VLIW systems, and even in that day, uh, there was a focus on parallelism, how much parallel work can we do, up to 10 different operations in one 64-bit instruction. And, and at that point, uh, we, we literally constructed those programs by, by hand, uh, sketching them out on paper and then, and then writing them out by hand. Uh, and, and compilers, uh, optimizing compilers were really just coming uh, to the fore at that point. Uh, which enabled those types of optimizations, uh, pipelining automatically, vector processing automatically. Uh, and and rea- there was a real discontinuity when we moved to distributed memory systems. Uh, and really there was a, a failure of compilers to step up in that move to distributed memory systems. And, uh, and MPI uh, became the de facto uh, way to to program uh, distributed-memory microprocessor-based systems. Um, and, and continued that way until um, multi-core systems became common. And then we moved into a sort of hybrid MPI plus uh, OpenMP as the standard way to uh, program those systems. And that was an acknowledgment that there was node-level parallelism and system level parallelism, and and not always, but frequently, two different models would be uh, useful in in targeting those systems. and And the only thing that really changes here is that uh, that parallelism at the node level, in order to uh, maximize energy efficiency and compute efficiency and cost efficiency, is continuing to to increase. And so, um, you know, I think. You know where we're going is that that uh, directive-based models, other models that allow you to express that concurrency, will uh, will allow us to move to these these massively parallel systems. And and uh, a question is whether you know is MPI the right uh, system-wide model? And there's no doubt <laughs> that it'll be used for a very long time. But I think that what you'll see uh, with respect to these massively parallel nodes is that uh, some of the features built into standard parallel languages become uh, very effective at addressing those systems. And uh, in the case of Fortran, there are uh, PGAS features that are built into that language, which may end up extending uh, beyond the node. We'll see if that happens. But um, it, it's certainly an interesting progression, as you state stated, mm-hmm. in the last, last 30 years.
0: Sure. That's great food for thought, too, especially about MPI. I think we'll try to We'll try to get a couple opinions on the show uh, on both sides of the fence at some point to talk about the future of MPI. That would be interesting.
1: Well, it's the model that that you know everybody loves to hate. They complain about <laughs> it and they say it's hard, but it's incredibly effective. It's been incredibly resilient in terms of its ability to you know it's a long lived model, uh, so it's it's really hard to uh, to throw stones at. It.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of difficult topics, one of the great things about GTC and uh, it's it's one of my favorite shows of the year to go to because of the breadth of sessions. So there's everything from really low-level, dense, <laughs> digging into compilers, to, you know, application-centric, come one, come all, and learn about what GPUs are doing. Uh, GTC is, is just full of stuff. So uh, obviously this year there's going to be plenty of OpenACC sessions. Um, you and I talked through what a couple of these are, uh, as, especially as it relates to some of the things we brought up here uh, in terms of VASP. Uh, and a couple other topics but uh, what are you looking forward to at gtc and what what to you are some of the um must see talks uh, as it relates to open acc
1: um, as you point out i mean you're putting out there's always uh it's difficult because you go and there are more sessions that you would like to attend than you're able to attend there are uh, a lot of different talks at GTC, a lot of them are, uh, are deeply technical. There's, I think, 25 talks this year that are OpenACC-related. Uh, I mean, a couple of them I would point out. There's one on uh, accelerating molecular modeling by John Stone at uh, University of Illinois. Uh, John is a, a great speaker. He's both you know entertaining and, and informative, and uh, he's going to go through uh, his experiences with those types of applications, not just using OpenACC, but using different types of models and and comparing the performance and, uh, and effectiveness of those models on, on his types of problems. Um, there's another talk by Rich Loft, who is uh, from the National Center for Atmospheric Research. Uh, they, I think I mentioned earlier, are developing a version of MPAS. the model for prediction across scales uh, using OpenACC and, and again it's interesting because there's a focus on let's make this code work well on CPUs, on many core, on GPUs, how do we go about that and they've worked through this process over the last uh, couple of years with really good results on all of those platforms and really good speed ups on GPUs uh, and then there's another one that uh, is a Comparison of OpenACC uh, on one of the Chinese supercomputers to uh, OpenACC on on NVIDIA GPUs with some really interesting results by uh, Stephen Wang at Shanghai. Uh, oh, that sounds that
0: sounds like a good one.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yes. So there are yeah. a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of interesting talks this year.
0: That's that's on the sun. They're comparing. They're comparing the p one hundred it looks like to the sunway machine what do you what do you expect the results will be on that what any thoughts on that
1: um it's it's really uh uh interesting because the the two systems you know are very different types of processors uh but they've been able to effectively target open at those processors uh and and one of the outcomes of that that study is that the ability to effectively use the uh, user-managed cache on, on GPUs is a, a very valuable uh, feature of, of those processors, and the, the feature in OpenACC that enables it can be used to good effect at least on this code, and so um, it's, a, it's going to be interesting.
0: Absolutely. Doug Miles, thanks so much for giving us this overview of the state of OpenACC and some of the things we should be paying attention to at GTC. Much appreciated.
1: All right. Thank you.
0: Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back tomorrow.